begin. Welcome back to Mass Ave. Uh, we have a few changes this week. The first and foremost being Tommy Binion is here joining as co-host, uh, kind of taking over from, from Brad Bishop. You may know Tommy. He's joined us before from Heritage on the Hill to give us a scoop on what's going on on Capitol Hill. Well, thanks, Emily. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Um, hello, audience. I'm Tommy Binion. I'm Director of Congressional and Executive Branch Relations uh, here at Heritage. I'm really excited about the uh, the podcast in general. I'm excited about Mass Ave. I've got a commute to and from work every day, and I listen to podcasts. Uh, so I'm really excited about this format. I'm really excited about how it's going to apply to Heritage. Uh, I got to say, you know, I've, I've got um, the privilege of having these conversations with the hundred researchers that work mm-hmm. here um, every day over lunch and in the hallways, and they're just some of the most interesting people with um, decades or even centuries uh, collectively of experience. And I'm really excited about fleshing out what's interesting in their work and bringing it to you all in this format. Sad to see Brad go. Um, Obviously, uh, we didn't kick him out of the podcast. He actually, (laughs) uh, he he moved on to the administration. um, And that's a really great gig for him and a, a really great scoop for the administration. But we sure miss Brad. Yes, we do miss Brad, but happy to have Tommy here. Uh, Yeah, kind of looking at the Heritage podcast, like you said, Heritage is such a great resource. Um, We have so many interesting people working here. And I know even when we kicked this off a few weeks ago, you know, a lot of researchers would come up and say, I had no idea you guys were doing a podcast, but I'm so excited because this is just something that's so great for, for what we do here as an organization. Well, you can watch the news. You can watch cable news. You can you can read uh, the Drudge Report. You can follow your Twitter feeds, and you can get an idea of sort of what's happening out there. Uh, but what we have here at Heritage is a depth of experience and knowledge and sort of hands-on expertise uh, that turns out to just be insanely interesting. A lot more interesting than the here's what happened today, here's what hap- what's happening tomorrow, and here's the controversial opinion on it that you might get from cable news. Uh, so we're going to try to help you get um, that colorful perspective on a lot of these issues. We're only going to pick one or two issues a week to sort of flesh out, really dive into um, this week, we're talking about we're talking about the Republican agenda. Yeah. They've got what's been uh, called a once in a generation shot at some uh, really big would be achievements: repeal Obamacare, right. um, reform the tax code, get that burden off the back of the American economy. Um, and, and we're six months in, and we haven't achieved very much of that. We're going to dive into to sort of uh, the why, and then handicap um, handicap the prospects that agenda has over the next year or so. Yeah, yeah. We'll have some of our, our great experts joining us for that. Hans is going to be here to kind of fill us in on on one of the big things that um, <laughs> the big topics of conversation, which is the upcoming Comey hearing. And then we'll have Adam Michelle filling us in on tax reform. And Tommy um, is going to be talking a little bit about the healthcare side. So it, sh- it should be an interesting discussion. Well, we'll look forward to that. As far as the, the Comey interview that we're going to do with Hans, one of the reasons for that is that um, a lot of folks may sort of naturally gravitate towards, well, uh, there's a um, there's a scandal in the right. administration as a reason why um, the legislative agenda is, isn't advancing as quick as it as it possibly could. But I think that that's um, they're making a big deal. They're making a mountain out of a molehill. Uh, Hans is going to give us the law enforcement, um, the legal perspective mm-hmm. on that. Um, Hans has got this. Uh, again, he's one of those heritage resource r- 
researchers with all kinds of experience. Um, Hans served at the DOJ and the Civil Rights Office um, and has that perspective on the mm-hmm. FBI, has that perspective on how an administration works. And he's going to walk us through, um, is this a big deal or, or is it a molehill? Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be really good to have the explainer and perspective on what is actually going on and you know, just really what to expect from it um, moving forward. Well, thanks. Quick reminder for our audience out there, uh, you can find us on SoundCloud. You can get to us by the Heritage website, heritage.org. Or the easiest way, uh, this is how I get my podcast, is on iTunes. Just search us, MassAV, M-A-S-S-A-V-E. It's the first one that pops up. Hit subscribe there, and you'll get a reminder every time we have a new episode out, and that'll get you excited to hear our voices once again. We're looking forward to having your, uh, to having you listen to us every week. By the way, you can find um, uh, you can find my perspective on what's happening on the Hill uh, at the Twitter feed Heritage OTH. It stands for On the Hill. Um, it, it's just uh, we, we sort of keep up with what's happening on the day to day and color that in with uh, Heritage analysts. So I would encourage you to check that out as well. All right. And we have Hans von Spakovsky here with us today. He is the Heritage Foundation's manager for uh, election law reform initiative and a senior legal feller, fellow excuse me, at the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Feller's Studies. Okay. Feller. I Feller like works that. too. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Hans is here. He has a wide range of experience, obviously, um, you know, looking at the Comey situation. I think he can give us some great perspective on that. Well, legal feller Hans, uh, I, I like the phrase, they're turning a molehill into a mountain. So which is this Comey affair? Is it a molehill or is it a mountain? No, I definitely think it's a molehill. Um, as you know, he's going to be testifying about uh, whether the president supposedly ordered him to stop the investigation of Michael Flynn. Now, what's interesting about that is that uh, so far, I haven't really seen any basis for the FBI to be investigating Michael Flynn to begin with. You know, they've been investigating him for supposedly having informal discussions with the Russian ambassador when Flynn was part of the transition team. There's nothing illegal about that. And, you know, normally you have to have uh, a reasonable suspicion that someone has violated a federal law before the FBI opens up an investigation. So I'm not quite sure how you can have obstruction of justice when (laughs) there's no federal law that's been uh, violated in the first place. Now, the other thing about this is that, remember— um, Comey previously testified under oath in a prior hearing that no one had asked him to stop this investigation. And then suddenly after he's fired, all of a sudden a leak comes out that he wrote a, may I, may I say it, a CYA memo to the file in which supposedly he'd been told to do that. Um, I'm sure if you Google CYA, you can see what that stands right, for. Right. Um, <laughs> And that in itself is uh, certainly problematic for Mr. Comey, given the fact that uh, the only person who could have leaked the fact that there was supposedly an internal FBI memo like that is him, which means he's breaking all kinds of rules leaking that. So I, I, I guess my what I would say about this is he goes into that hearing with – a lot of questions about his credibility and whether anything he really can uh, 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 that he says at this point can be believed. So Comey himself is being asked to testify about his own investigation into Michael Flynn or the Senate Intel Committee's investigation into Michael Flynn. Well, it sounds like he's being he's being asked to testify about whether the about that, but also whether the president asked him to stop the investigation. And of course, everyone should realize. If there is currently an open investigation going on, 
um, law enforcement officials, whether they're in the FBI or at the Justice Department, where I used to work, uh, they can't testify about the details of an investigation. So if he starts doing that, he will also be acting improperly in doing that. So let me get this straight. Comey, for months, uh, it, it, with multiple under oath testimonies, uh, asserts that basically all is well here as far as the right. administration goes, then gets fired, then changes his tune. That, that's that's basically it. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And that that's why I... I have a lot of doubts about uh, all of this. Now, one of the other issues that's come up that everyone should realize is that um, any conversations that a high official like he has with the president, that's that's covered by executive privilege. The president can't operate unless he has the ability to keep confidential uh, discussions with, with officials. So, you know, if the president wants to, he could claim executive privilege. Uh, folks may remember Barack Obama did that during his administration to prevent Eric Holder from having to provide any of the documentation on Operation Fast and Furious. And and he supposedly didn't even have any conversations with Holder about it. So it was it was material far away from having a personal conversation with the president. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about this memo. Is it is it essentially Comey's word against the president's or like how much bearing well, does yeah. that have in how much bearing does that have? Like, you know, in, in this it is it's his, it's his word against the president's. Yeah. Um, and like I said, uh, countering this memo that he apparently started talking about only after he was fired was previously sworn testimony, which he said, well, no one had asked him to do it. Right. By, by the way, the federal there are several federal statutes on obstruction of justice. And that's what everybody's been talking about. And uh, I actually uh, took a look at those earlier today, and so far I don't see anything in any of the accusations that have been made that would come even close to violating uh, any of those federal laws. So clearly that's what the Democrats see in, in, right. in driving attention to this. The media coverage of this issue uh, was very high a couple of weeks ago, and it's going to be even higher when this, uh, when this committee testimony takes place. Is this a distraction? Does it is it even relevant? Is this a, or is this a hamster wheel that's happening in the background as the GOP pursues their agenda? I just I think this is just a political distraction. Look, the only really serious wrongdoing so far in this whole whole Russia investigation, everything, the only serious wrongdoing so far that apparently nothing is being done about was the leaking of classified material. And by that, I mean that the only reason we knew that uh, Michael Flynn had had conversations with the Russian ambassador was because some current or former intelligence official leaked the fact that there was a transcript of the Russian ambassador talking on his telephone about this. Well, what does that mean? That means that one of our intelligence officials uh, uh, let the Russians know that we had busted their security and had penetrated the Russian ambassador's cell phone. That's the most serious consequence of all of this, and yet no one is concentrating on that. And that's, that is so dangerous, particularly because whoever uh, leaked this, did they do it for, uh, to, to further an intelligence objective? No. They did it purely for political reasons, and for that, they busted wide open a very successful intelligence operation that penetrated Russian security. Uh, so, what are some of the things I guess we should be listening for in in this in the hearings on Thursday? <laughs> uh, well, we want to hear any. We want to hear exactly what Comey says supposedly happened in his conversation with the president. Again, 
I would take what he says with a grain of salt, given the, the questions about his credibility. But um, it's the details of that conversation that would determine whether there's any substance whatsoever to the claim that, that the president may have obstructed justice. Like I said, so far, I don't see any evidence of that at all. And I frankly doubt that uh, Comey's going to be able to make a case that that occurred. So this hearing is going to happen. Um, the the accounts of the stories are going to be dubious, especially that they're uh, controverted directly uh, by current members of the administration, in, including the president. Hans, what's your advice to the administration as far as moving past this? Uh, if this is a molehill, uh, how do we redirect the public's attention? And, and I, I'm saying the public because we know we can't redirect the media's right. attention. How do we redirect the public's attention to what matters? Uh, I actually don't think that that is uh, that difficult a job. Um, uh, I, I actually uh, recently went to my uh, high school reunion, and I can tell you people there, they just weren't interested in this all. They didn't believe uh, – frankly, Comey does not have a lot of credibility with the average voter out there because they saw the way he let uh, Hillary Clinton off for very clearly mishandling classified material. And people see that as a political decision. Uh, they were right about that. It wasn't a legal decision. And uh, I, I just don't think this effort by the Democrats on this is getting a lot of traction out in the, the rest of America outside of Washington, D.C. Yeah, it's interesting that Comey's career has been so political. You know, on this hearing on Thursday, the way hearings work, we get um, a, a statement from the chairman, then we get opening questions from one Republican, then it goes to the Democrats side of the aisle, then back right. to the Republicans, then back to the Democrats. That probably won't follow that need of a pattern because uh, for both sides of the aisle, he's given sort of uh, a lot of material for them to question, which, again, I think um, uh, draws into question his credibility. Uh, so it'll, it'll be an interesting hearing, but not one that I think will at all distract from um, the the GOP agenda. I think they have plenty of procedural hurdles to get through as far as that goes. And this is just a uh, a media circus, political distraction. So, Hans, thank you very much for joining us. Sure, thanks for having me. We'll have you back again. Your perspective is as wide as, as the widest river, and so we really appreciate <laughs> it. Speaking of wide rivers, um, the Republican agenda is a big one. It involves tax reform. Health care, rolling back the president, President Obama's midnight regulations, uh, advancing regulatory reform like the RAINS Act, defunding the left's allies like Planned Parenthood, NPR, and, and other biased news sources. Uh, it's a bold agenda. It's one that they made clear promises on. Um, and it's one that, um, from a legislative standpoint, now Trump has done a lot on his own. But from a legislative standpoint, has um, stumbled out of the box so far this year. So we're going to dive into that. Yeah. And I know uh, one of the topics that we've covered quite a bit here on Mass Ave has been the state of the Obamacare replacement bill. Um, Tommy has actually been on here before talking about that. So I think it should be interesting to see... So what's coming up next? What What's going on in the Senate on that? Well, you want to talk about a, a clear campaign promise, probably one of the most clear in decades. Um, and Republicans up and down the ticket have has promised to repeal Obamacare uh, for probably what it's four election cycles now, 2000. 
2014, and 2016, we have black and white promises the Republican Party will repeal Obamacare. Here we are. We've got a Republican majority in the Senate, a Republican majority in the House, and a Republican in the White House, and it's uh, it's June, and we don't have action on it. Uh, the American Healthcare Act, Paul Ryan's um, plan to repeal and replace Obamacare, after um, uh, two or two and a half months of negotiation passed the House, but that was almost a month ago now, uh, maybe even more than a month. And in the Senate, uh, we have a, a working group. We like those in Washington. We like working groups, and we have one, uh, 13 senators who have promised to uh, to propound a new agreement on repealing and replacing Obamacare. I guess that's a, a signal that the AHCA can't pass the Senate as is. And so these 13 men have been tasked with um, hammering out a new deal, uh, one that has a lot of the same policies in the American Health Care Act, but one that can get 51 votes, which is all we need in the Senate to repeal Obamacare. So I guess what we've heard is signals from leadership that you know other legislation is going to pass before Obamacare. What's the holdup? Well, you know, I, I think if you ask them, they would say it's the process. The bird rule mm-hmm. is so complicated and it's um, it's this keyhole that you have to fit legislation through. But I think the truth is uh, when you have an, uh, when you have a bill that 51 senators agree on, they can make the process work for them. What we don't have right now is a bill that has 51 senators. Uh, let, think of Obamacare in three parts. Mm-hmm. Okay, It's a mandate that everyone carry insurance, whether they buy it on the individual market or they get it from their employer. Obamacare says everyone will have health insurance one way or another. Now, along with that is a subsidy. Um, If you are in a certain income bracket, you qualify um, under a very complicated scheme to get a subsidy to purchase health insurance. Um, And the third part is a regulatory scheme that kind of makes all of this possible, defines what health insurance is, uh, who can sell it, and under what circumstances. So the AHCA, oh, there's a fourth part. Uh, Medicaid expansion. Obamacare um, dramatically expanded uh, both um, who is eligible for Medicaid and how much money the federal government is willing to contribute to uh, the cost of Medicaid. It used to be about a 50-50 share. Now it's 90-10 in the federal government's favor. They're they're paying 90% of the bill. So how does the AHCA handle each of those four? Uh, On the mandate. The HCA repeals the mandate. Uh, no longer will you be required to buy health insurance. Uh, we're back to being a free country if that's the case. Number two, uh, the subsidy. Uh, the HCA uh, repeals the subsidy. It replaces it with a tax credit. Based on your income and your age, you'll qualify for a tax credit um, to help you purchase health insurance. Um Number three, uh, how does it handle the regulatory scheme? Well, that, that's a more complicated answer, and that's really mm-hmm. where the sticking point begins in the Senate. Um, you know, there's the essential health benefits, which prescribe exactly all of the things that insurance will cover. There's, um, uh, you know, the community rating, which describes how insurance companies can charge you for health insurance. Um, in the AHCA, they set up an ability for states to opt out of certain of those regulations. Uh, this is th- th- this is where it becomes um, really complicated in the Senate and, and disagreement arises. How exactly will they deal with those uh, regulations? If they repeal them, uh, there are moderate Republican senators who get scared. Uh, yeah. Some of these 
regs are, are, are seen as a good thing and, they're, and, and, and they get scared. Now, lastly, um, the Medicaid expansion. This is the second big point of disagreement in the Senate. Uh, Medicaid um, pays for insurance, pays for health care for a lot of people. Um, and, uh, you know, it, when you start tweaking that, you know, the CBO and others can show effects on certain populations. And again, moderate senators get scared. But let's, you know, that's that, that those are where the sticking points are. OK, so taking all those things into consideration, do you think that they're going to have a, a repeal pass before they... By the end of these next seven legislative weeks? Well, you know, some pundits are starting to say no. Yeah. And some senators are starting to say no. Uh, but I'll announce here on this podcast on Mass Ave, I'm 100% sure it's going to happen. Uh, the mandate to repeal Obamacare is just too high. Uh, we saw this take place in the House. When when the president started to pivot away from health care and it started to look like they, they weren't getting, uh, they had no chance at getting to agreement, the truth of the matter was they all came to Washington promising their constituents they would repeal Obamacare. And that ultimately won the day. They ultimately got themselves around a table and forged an agreement because they couldn't go home without having repealed Obamacare. The Senate's going to have to go home for a month in August, and I don't think that they're willing to do that without having repealed Obamacare, given the size and scope and clarity of their promise. So to me, that's enough to bet on, um, and, and we'll see what happens in real life. All right. Speaking of real life, let's talk about bills and taxes. Uh, next on the Republican agenda is tax reform. It's It's been a big campaign promise as well. Uh, we have Heritage's tax expert, Adam Michelle, here to kind of give us a breakdown of what's going on. Yeah, Adam, we've been talking about throughout this podcast, we've been talking about um, the state of the GOP agenda. We've got uni- uni- unified unified control of the federal government for the Republican Party. We've got some lofty promises and not a whole lot of results out of the Congress. So now we're going to take a look at tax reform. That's where you come in. You're an expert on tax reform, but of course you've been following the process really closely in the Congress. What's the latest? So the latest is we have a uh, several different plans out there. Trump has put out a plan. Uh, the Congress has, uh, the GOP has a blueprint out there that lays out a lot of principles of tax reform. And uh, despite what a lot of the sort of media coverage would lead you to believe, these two are pretty close in in their goals, the direction that they're pushing. And so the, the we're really just looking for consensus on a last couple issues to, to push it to a one unified package that we can uh, start uh, actually working on through the legislative process. Adam, if I had a nickel for every time um, I heard the phrase tax reform, I would be in a <laughs> higher tax bracket for sure. Uh, can you tell us what is meant by that? What are we talking about when we say tax reform? Yeah, so I, I like to actually think of it think of it as updating the tax code. We currently have a outdated tax system that uh, taxes people too much. It distorts what types of activities they're doing. It double taxes savings and investment, which is one of the main engines of economic growth. And and the last time we made any changes to it was in the uh, 1980s. And so when we talk about tax reform or updating the tax code, we're talking about uh, making it easier for businesses and individuals to 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 spend money on what they want to to get the economy growing again, uh, and and to get economic growth down to, to at individual uh, normal people throughout America. So you said that the president and uh, Congress has kind of outlined the principles of tax mm-hmm. reform. What are these principles and how easy are they to translate into legislation? 
So the when we talk about ta- taxes, there's two pieces of the tax code. There's the business tax code and then the individual side. And so when we talk about reform, we talk about th- those two different pieces. So on the business side, currently we have the highest corporate income tax rate in the developed world. It's almost 40%. Uh, and this this is making America uncompetitive. It's pushing businesses overseas. We've heard of Burger King, uh, Imbev. They, they've inverted inversions are when com- companies leave the United States because it's too costly to do business here. So when we talk about lowering the corporate income tax rate, it's about helping businesses come back into the United States and and really hire Americans and and produce here. And then we talk about the individual side of the tax code. Mm-hmm. It's currently incredibly complicated. Rates are 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 high. So we talk about simplifying taxes for average Americans, lowering rates, uh, and and those are sort of the two big pieces. You know, one of the thing that one of the things that President Trump does best is he focuses on the upshot, and he talks to us about the the end result. Maybe not necessarily the nitty gritty of the policy, but when he's referring to tax reform, he's talking about explosive economic growth. Uh, so much so, we're going to get tired of winning. Uh, is that is that in the cars with with this uh, with this brand of tax reform that's being kicked around the Congress? So. True tax reform that's done done right can get us a long way to that explosive economic growth that the president talks about, especially if it's paired with regulatory reform and spending reform and sort of all the other things that, that we've been talking about. It's it's we should we shouldn't sort of poo poo the idea that the American economy can get growing again at, at the rates. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, t- and tax reform is is if not the most important part of getting t- getting America going again. It, it's up there with regulatory reform. But tax reform is is one of the biggest wet blankets on the American economy. So, so definitely. Well, now that we know the the what and, and the why, let's talk about let's talk about brass tax in Congress. <laughs> pun intended. Um, is this is this going to happen? Uh, uh, the Brady plan is out there. He's the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. His plan has the backing of the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. Uh, the uh, Ostensibly, the, the mode of operation when we get to this is going to be reconciliation. So we're talking about a strictly partisan process. Uh, what are the hurdles that remain? Yeah, so a, a little bit more on uh, this reconciliation idea. This is a, a vehicle that works with the budget, where they, where you don't need the sixty vote threshold in the Senate, so it just makes it easier to pass tax reform if they can, if they can get it into this this vehicle. And and that is that seems to be the politically viable way forward for tax reform. If we can, if they can pass a twenty eighteen budget, which hopefully they will be able to, then then tax reform becomes a whole lot more likely and. Uh, and and I mean, this is one of the major promises that that uh, the Republicans ran on mm-hmm. throughout the election and have been running on for quite a quite a number of years now. So, if uh, behind healthcare reform, tax reform should be the next thing on, on their agenda, and it, the president seems to be very much behind it, which is we've seen historically is really important to get tax reform across the finish line. So uh, I'm currently optimistic. We'll see what the um, what the future holds. Well, the basic idea is um, everybody has a tax preference right now, right? If, if you are um, uh, in any industry, there's a special carve out for you. And the basic idea is to eliminate those carve outs, therefore broadening the base, increasing the number of taxpayers. And what that will do in return um, is is lower the level of taxpayers that those are left. That you know, Washington picks winners and losers. It lowers the rates that. Uh, we're all going to be losers in a sense. None of us are going to have a special carve out, but we're going to have a much lower rate. 
But tax reform has been historically hard. It hasn't happened on a broad scale since the 1980s. And even then, it was considered kind of a small miracle that it happened. Um, you know, I, I think uh, once this thing, once the reality of tax reform sets in, we're going to have an awful lot of, of lobbyists here in Washington and maybe even some lobbyists yet to be hired for this particular debate. Uh, storm the hill and explain just why they need their their special tax carve out. Uh, talk about the importance of sort of keeping that um, that mentality of eliminating loopholes and and therefore lowering the rates. Yeah, so there's two really important things I want to highlight in, in what you said, uh, and the first is when we talk about eliminating loopholes and these special privileges, it's. It's really important to then follow up with, and we're going to lower the rate. Is even if mm-hmm. if you get rid of your special deductions and privileges, the, the there should be enough money there to then lower everyone's rate. Yes, if I if I have a really great special carve out, maybe maybe my tax rate will go up a little bit. But for everyone across the board, your rates are gonna are kind of come down, and there's going to be less. Uh, Washington will hopefully be collecting less of your tax dollars rather than more. That's that's the goal. And, and then second is when we get sort of shoved into this box of revenue-neutral tax reform, meaning we- I have never liked being shoved into boxes. <laughs> of, <laughs> of, and, and, and the box that you're getting shoved into there is every is one person's tax increase has to be- uh, one person's tax reduction has to be another person's tax increase. And, and that, that is also a losing proposition, especially in our current political environment. So what we should be talking about is, is how do we get to uh, tax reform that lowers rates enough that we can get rid of all those special privileges and get as many people on board, because it is a political process we have to get buy-in. Mm-hmm. And then also keep in mind that, that we don't uh, that Washington has a spending problem not a tax revenue problem, that we didn't get $20 trillion in debt because we didn't tax people enough. It's not about just raising tax rates to pay for things. We should really be responsibly looking at both sides of the federal ledger, both what's coming in, but more importantly, what are we spending the money on? Well, th- this has been really interesting, talking about um, Comey with Hans von Spakovsky, talking about um, health care with yours truly, and talking about uh, tax reform with Adam Michelle. What this amounts to is um, a, a big promise from the Republican Party, a, a huge upshot, and a big question mark in Congress. I think uh, my my I'm an optimist. I'm an internal optimist. I'm an internal optimist, and I'm an eternal optimist. I'm both of those things. And I think that uh, I I I just I think that the 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 two reasons that are going to carry the Republican Party through to achieving these big promises are the size of the promise they made. And also um, the the opportunity that lies on the other side, the explosive growth that's going to come out, uh, that's going to come with tax reform, and just the um, the renewal of unleashing uh, the greatness, American greatness in the healthcare industry. So I, I'm I'm really I'm I'm optimistic, um, Adam. I liked it when you said there should be enough money. We'll close with that. As a taxpayer, I agree there should be enough money to do anything they want to do. We pay enough taxes. And on that note, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us today. Be sure to check us out on SoundCloud and iTunes.